Amen. What we need in 2023, like we needed in 2022, and like we will need in 2024, is to know our shepherd, to know the shepherd of our souls, and to trust him. We're never going to outgrow this need to know God personally and also to, to, to trust him, to throw ourselves literally into his care. And I think, I believe that Psalm 23 is actually in our Bibles to help us know this shepherd of our souls and to do that work of, of trusting him, to help us to trust him. And so to have a shepherd and for us to be a sheep, which is what the Bible calls Christians, it means something, something profound. It means that we belong. To have a shepherd and to be a sheep of God means that we belong. So much of our ache, so much of our accusations, our attempts, our effort, our overcompensation in life, it springs from this deep, deep need for us to belong. And so we have this ache within us that just yearns to belong. And, and we say to ourselves somewhere, maybe it's with words, maybe it's just deep in our guts, I so deeply want to belong and be accepted. Or maybe we don't feel that sense of belonging. And so we accuse and we say, no one cares. I don't belong here. Or our anxiety is ratcheted up within us and, and it just leads to attempts and to effort to belong. Maybe they will accept me if. And maybe we just determine kind of doggedly in our own souls, I'm going to belong. And so they are going to have to accept me because I dot, dot, dot. All of these and some other things to be sure, they flow from our own human desire. It's a deep need within us to, to belong. And so we say things or we'll do things like, I'll learn to be funny so that they will accept me. I'll wear the right clothes so that I fit in, or I'll get the right truck so that she'll finally notice me, or I'll be the best student. I'll be the best athlete. I'll be the best businessman. I'll be the best boss. I'll be the best employee. I'll parent with the best of them, or I'll never show weakness. I'll be reliable. I will always, always show up so they won't have any choice but to accept me. Or I'll serve endlessly so that they depend on me. I'll even, I'll even stay out of their way if that's what they want. I'll minimize myself if that's what it takes in order to not be rejected and to give me a sense of belonging. And so many times at different points in our life, whatever the price to belong, we're willing to pay in full. But, but before you or I were ever born, before you or I had ever done anything good or bad, the Lord who made us declares that he is our shepherd. He declares that he cares for his sheep. He declares that he meets the needs of his creation. And he restores those who trust him and continues to rework the most central part of us, our own souls. It's grace. This is, this is grace that God would do this for us. And it's, it's not cheap grace. It's costly grace. It's the kind of grace that comes at no price. But when it comes home to us, it demands a response. 
if that grace is actually going to change us, then there's some, there, there must be some sort of fruit. And so this shepherd of our souls, he requires our attention. He requires our dependence. He requires our humility, our loyalty, and our obedience. And we need to understand right out of the gates that with the shepherd of our souls, we are not player coaches. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. The kingdom of God is not an employee-owned business. God is God, and he is the only one in charge, not us. It's important for us to, to settle our minds, to settle our hearts, to settle our own souls around this fact that God is the one who is in charge, not us. We do have responsibility but we are not in charge of creation. And, and when, we, when this costly grace comes home to us and starts to do something in our heads and starts to do something in our own hearts, it, it starts to leak out of our lives and naturally it changes us. And so supernaturally rather, it changes us. And so when we start to get the grace of God for someone as unworthy as I am, like when we start to really get it, when it begins to change us, that's where the real magic happens because that change inside of us, it, it moves us toward God where we want to be with our shepherd. We want to follow our shepherd. We want to, be, we want to live how our shepherd lives. We want to do what our shepherd does. And so this is a reality for all of us that when life and circumstances force us into these dark and lonely places. If you're not there right now, you will be. Good news, bad news, you will be at some point. There, there are times in our, in our worlds and in our existence where we just, we live through the dark and lonely places. We need to understand Psalm 23 promises to us that our shepherd is there with us too. Guiding and guarding and leading his people. Why? Because he will not, based on who he is, his character, his integrity, his goodness, he will not turn away those who trust in him and depend on him. And so while that word this morning is, is serious and it's got an edge to it and teeth to it, Psalm 23 comes home to us, just comforting our souls. So go there in your Bibles or on your phones with me, if you would. Turn to Psalm 23. There's black Bibles around the room. I just want to read this Psalm, get it percolating. Jeremy read it earlier this morning, but I want to just get it perking in our, in our heads and in our hearts this morning. I'm reading out of the ESV. The words will be slightly different than are on the screen, but just slightly. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I have what I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters or waters of rest. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness or right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow. That word follow there is actually pursue, shall pursue me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word to us this morning. 
I, I have a few points that are coming up out of the text. There are many other points that come right up out of this text. If you see them, chase them down. But here is what I want to bring before you this morning. The first point out of Psalm 23 is this, that life on our terms without a sense of belonging to the shepherd of our souls is terrifying. Life on our own terms without a sense of belonging to the shepherd of our souls, it's actually terrifying. Look what happens when we remove the shepherd and his work from Psalm 23. My, I, I need, me, me, my life, me. I go through the darkest valley. I fear danger. Me in the presence of my enemies. My head, my cup, me all the days of my life, I as long as I live. That sounds like a nightmare. Does that not sound like a nightmare? And so I want to ask, like, does this tap on anything in you? Does it describe, perhaps it describes what life feels like to you right now or what it has felt like in your past. and Maybe it will describe what you feel in your future and maybe you're asking a question, not that. Is there another way? Is there another way? And the answer is yes, absolutely, there is another way. When we give the shepherd of our souls our attention and our time, when we give him our humble dependence, our opened up hearts, our loyalty, our obedient hands, Psalm 23 just kind of unfolds again right in our faces. And we understand that the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. And then we start to see he lets me. He leads me. He renews my life. He renews my soul. He leads me. Why? For his name's sake. Here's a second point that comes up out of this text. God's name is synonymous with his reputation. God's name is synonymous. His name and his reputation go hand in hand. So it can comfort us for a moment if Um, If we believe that God is so good to us because of our great worthiness, that can comfort us for a moment because we believe that that we are worthy and that God loves us based on our worth. This kind of like popular terminology, you are enough. But there's something actually even more comforting in Psalm 23. It's in the whole Bible, really. God doesn't relate to me based on my worthiness. The reality that the scriptures teaches is that God relates to me based on his worthiness, based on his worth. So maybe you've seen like pictures of a neglected sheep or you've, maybe you've taken in rescue animals in your own home and so you've seen like emaciated animals or diseased animals or you've seen photos online of these animals kind of before and after. You've seen sheep with this overgrown wool and, and infestations of insects and all that nastiness and bloat and like just picture some of that in your mind. Maybe you have experience, maybe you've just seen something. These animals, their recovery doesn't actually depend solely on their quality. For these animals to make a recovery, it doesn't actually depend solely on their quality, but rather on the quality of their caregiver and the quality of their shepherd. 
the, 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 the competence of those caring for them and the way that those care for them to slowly rehab them back into health. Or I'll switch a metaphor, like a rundown old house, it does not get its value from what it is. A rundown old house that has been remodeled gets its value from the work and the competence of the one who has renovated it. And to be sure, people and uh, people are far more complex than, than sheep or far more complex than houses. And we need to understand, I think, we can understand that God is far more competent to renew our souls than anyone, than anything out there. And not only is he more competent to renew our souls and to, to help us, but his name and his reputation is far more dignified than anyone or anything else. So we see that here in Psalm 23 that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What does it mean? Is there power in the name of God? Is there power in the name of Jesus Christ? So I'll ask you a question. When we end our prayers with, in the name of Jesus, what are we doing there? Are we just, are we referring to his proper name, J-E-S-U-S? Is that all we're doing there? Is it just kind of a tradition that's been handed down and, and that's it? Or when we say, when we say we bring these things to you in the name of Jesus, are we reaching to something more? I think just like as I'm reflecting on this right here, I've, I've recognized that over the last like, I don't know, probably maybe year or so, like oftentimes in, when we huddle for prayer or even when we're like praying up here for one another, we, we just end our prayers with this hard kind of amen. And we started doing that over the last year or so, and it ought not be so. We've, we've stopped saying, bringing these requests to God in the name of Christ. In all of the Bible, when we come across phrases like, in the name of Christ, be healed, or for this, I do all of these things for the sake of my name. Or when, we, when we're in the scriptures, and maybe it's the, the Ten Commandments, right? Where it says, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. There's more here than just a proper name before us. So the Old Testament personal name of God is Yahweh, or I am. In the New Testament, the focus is really on Jesus Christ, the Messiah, there's more than just a proper name before us. Why? Because names represent the personality and the competence and the dignity and the power of the one that that name signals. Because names represent the personality, the bearer of that name, they have to be concerned with their names. In other words, their reputations. They've got to be concerned with their reputations because a name actually represents a reputation. Psalm 23 teaches us that the Lord cares for his people and that his own reputation is actually tied to that. The Lord cares for his people and his reputation is tied to that. So God's reputation is consistent with his character completely consistent with his character. Here's a long quote, a couple of slides up on the screen. Um, there's this phrase, I am. This is speaking of the shepherd or Yahweh. I am's reputation rests on faithfulness and keeping his covenants. God's reputation rests on his 
faithfulness in keeping his covenants and in displaying his power on behalf of Israel, his chosen nation. So the idea of acting for your namesake, often along with the concept of maintaining personal integrity, it means acting to uphold this reputation, whether by guiding or by pardoning or by sparing or by delivering. The writers of this commentary go on to say, where I am, where Yahweh, where the shepherd to lose one of his sheep along the path of life due to misadventure or misconduct, his name would actually be tarnished in its honor and could not be trusted with all of his subjects' heart. In other words, I am's reputation on earth and the psalmist's well-being are inseparably connected. He leads us beside still waters and green pastures and on right paths for his namesake. He does good to us because his reputation is tied to his promises that he will do good to his people. Going on with this quote, I am will not lose any of his faithful people to death. And as the pioneer and the completer of the Christian pilgrimage, Jesus, the good shepherd, we live in a universe wherein God's interests and his people's interests cohere. They do not compete. Which means that when this shepherd of our souls is with you and I, and he is, it has an effect on our deep longing to belong. And an awareness of his presence actually has a diminishing effect on our fears, too. When we become more and more aware of the presence of God with us in our day-to-day lives, just because you don't feel him does not mean that he is not there with you. We'll see this in verse 4 of Psalm 23. Here's the third point in the text. I walk through dark valleys because I walk with you. I walk through dark valleys because I walk with God. Have you ever been so afraid that the only thing left for you to do was to pray? Like so at the end of your tether, you'd made such a mess of a situation or you were in a life and death situation and you did not know if you were going to make it out. The only thing at your disposal in that moment was prayer, to just throw yourself at the mercy of God. I'm not saying that's how we want it to be, to try all of the things and then to pray. That's not ideal, is it? Not at all. We want to be a people who our knee-jerk reaction is to pray, but what is is actually the teacher, and what is oftentimes for us is that we just don't knee-jerk into prayer. But we, that's, I think, a good goal for us, but oftentimes we'll live our lives kind of doing the things, managing the things, managing the people before we actually come to God in prayer. Um, it wasn't until I became a pastor that I actually began to discover that I live with fear daily. Like, fear is a major, major part of my life. It's a major part of my story. And, I, and I, I didn't actually understand that it had been a major part of my story. How much I didn't understand how much fear was actually a ruling factor in my life. Because on the outside, like, you, you don't necessarily see it this way, but I have all kinds of different motivations that are motivating me. And sometimes my fear motivates me straight into action. 
Like anxiety isn't only just a wringing of the hands and a retreating. Sometimes anxiety and fear actually propels us into action. And so we manage all the things and find the solutions and we're just on it. That is still anxiety. That is still fear at work in a person. So sometimes I spring to action and that looks bold and all of that maybe to somebody else. But the ruling, kind of the dominating root in my life is still like I'm afraid that it's going to go off the rails. i got to keep it on track. But other times, man, my fear, like I retreat in my fear. I'll, I'll, I want to tuck tail. I want to run. I want to uh, act in a cowardly way. And I just did not have good awareness um, at the time that I began to, to pastor. And, and here, here's the, the mysterious way that God actually works in our lives and has worked in my life. Uh, he actually, he used pastoring. He used this role and this vocation that I am in to expose to me how fear has been such a ruling factor in my life. And why did he use pastoring to reveal this to me? So that I could see more clearly and so that I could see that he is actually with me in all of it at all times. Just because I am afraid does not mean that he has abandoned me. And so he used this to expose fear in me so that as I began to gain awareness, his gift to me of my fear, that I could choose to trust him in the midst of my deep fear. And God has not delivered me from my fears. In a perfect sense. Like, I'm never going to be afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of anybody or anyone. That's not, my, that's not me. Like, I'm afraid all the time. I'm a fearful individual. But what he has done is he has actually reordered and he is reordering how I operate when I am in fear. And he is helping me to live a more and more and more an increasingly courageous life because to have courage is not to not have fear. You know this. The definition of courage is to do something heroic or brave in the, the, in, in the present state of fear. You move forward. It's not courageous to do something that you're not afraid of. There are a, a couple of things just to kind of let you into my inner world that make me feel afraid regularly. Um, these are all related to, to my vocation, um, to what I do. A couple of things, three of them. Um, I am I'm fearful of public speaking. Like, this is not my jam. This is not my happy place. This is not where I feel most comfortable. I like to be um, behind the scenes. I like to work around the edges. Um, another fear that I have is interpersonal conflict. Anybody else, like, not like conflict? I do not like conflict. It makes me very, very, very uncomfortable. It twists me up at times. And I do not, I absolutely do not, one of my, one of my like nightmares is failure. And all of these are a regular part of pastoring because pastoring is like, it's a very public thing. And because it's a very public thing, there's just not a good way to get away from them or around them. You just have to like work through these things. And so um, in my role, like I am commissioned to declare God's word publicly. And so I'm going to have to work with the public speaking thing. Right? I'm going to have to figure out how to manage those nerves. Jeremy walked up on me this morning, and I was just praying under my lips, and I was like, dude, I'm anxious this morning. And he was like, I could see it on your face. He comes up here, and he prays for us. He's aware of what's going on in me at that moment. I just I feel it on a regular basis. I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me or to 
pat me on the head or any of that stuff. I'm just trying to let you in to my inner world. Like it's not the most comfortable thing for me to do. But also like the interpersonal conflict thing, like a pastor's role is to warn and to teach, right? And to discipline and to protect. And what does that do? Like that stirs up a lot of conflict, and also to steward what God has entrusted to our oversight. And so there's a major piece, like this could go bad. This could go off the rails. I could fail. I could fail you, fail God, fail myself, all that. Right? So I wonder about you. Like, have you learned to identify some of the things that, that really like create anxiety in you, that create anxiousness in you? Men in the room, it's probably related to your work. It's probably related to failure. It's probably related to being seen as incompetent. It's being related to not being able to provide for your families. Ladies in the room, like you can identify what it is for you. I wonder, like, if you're able to, if you have awareness, if you're willing to face, like, what are the things that you're truly afraid of? What are the things that create a sense of worry in you or anxiety in you? I had no idea the cost of uh, gospel ministry when I began to give my life to it. And so I'm rosy-eyed. I'm naive to the reality of darkness and reality to... uh, uh, Naive to the reality of sin and evil and just how cruddy people can be to one another. But God used that naivety. He, I, think, <laughs> I think about it almost like a bait and switch. It wasn't though, because he's not shady like that. But if I knew, like if I knew, I probably wouldn't have. If you're a business leader or you're an organizational leader, you probably know like, man, I did not have any idea what this thing, how big this thing would be when I got in. And if I knew all of the cost and all of the time and all of the investment and all that it would take, I might not have entered in. But we enter in to, through this kind of narrow gate and then it expands in front of us and God is with us in the process, and he helps guide us along. Anyways, uh, so I can, uh, I I was eager to get in. I was eager to do ministry. I was eager to serve God's kingdom. And I can say with a clear mind and a clear conscience before you that I have never, never done anything so fulfilling in all of my life. Has it been easy? Yeah, actually, it's been very easy at times. It's been wonderful and joy-filled. Has it been difficult? Yes, absolutely at times. Have I wanted to quit? 100%. 100% I have wanted to quit. Can I see myself personally doing anything else? Trust me, I think about it. And I can't. It would relieve me. Like Mondays sometimes, uh, an old acquaintance of mine said like Mondays he would, he was a pastor and he'd, he'd call them bread truck Mondays. He just, he just like, just daydream of driving a bread truck. Cause there's like no demands. If the bread doesn't arrive on time, it's okay. Maybe I'll take a water truck or maybe I'll like, I'll do something else like water truck Mondays. I don't know what they are. God has uh, used hard seasons in our marriage. He's used hard seasons in our parenting in my pastoring and my friendships to reveal just how much I depend on myself to get myself through. He's taken me where I actually don't want to go in order to produce dependence on him and trust in his care that cannot be produced in any other way. And he does the exact same thing for you. He does the exact same thing for his people. 
Look at verses 1 through 3 again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I have what I need. So he's taking care of our base needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Where has the shepherd taken his sheep? He's provided all that they need. Green pastures, still waters, right paths. So what then is verse 4? That's my question. What is verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or deep darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do we walk through dark valleys because we screwed up and wandered off? That's a reality, yes. But I don't actually think that's what David the psalmist is is getting at right here. Nowhere in Psalm 23 do we see the absence of the shepherd at any time. Hang with me here for a second. I wonder if it's the shepherd who actually leads us through these deep, dark valleys in order to expose things in us, in order to expose us to just how reliable he is in all situations. What if he leads us into these places to to mercifully strip us of our independence from him? What if he mercifully leads us into dark places to strip us of our imagined self-sufficiency. David here says, I will fear no evil, not because these valleys are not scary. Of course these are scary places. Of course the places that we can find ourselves in are paralyzing at times. But what does David say? He says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You see that in the text. Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23 has 55 Hebrew words in it. 26 of them come before you are with me. 26 of them come after you are with me. And the Hebrew words for you are with me are four words in the Hebrew. This is the emotional and the numerical center. You are with me is the center of Psalm 23. It's in this scary place of Psalm 23 where the shadows seem to indicate that death could be close. And it's in this scary place, this valley of deep darkness, where David actually shifts from third person pronouns to second person pronouns. Did you notice this? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, he leads me, he lets me, he guides me. And then when we get into verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for second person, you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely good and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's in the danger zones. It's in these dark and lonely places. It's in the places where danger lurks constantly that David realizes that his shepherd is actually closer than ever, closer than he even knew. Some of my kids would tell you that they're afraid of the dark 
but I'm not sure that's actually entirely true, that my kids are afraid of the dark. Chip Dodd says, kids aren't afraid of the dark, they're afraid of being alone in the dark. Like when we get out of the car and it's late at night, our mailbox is 100 yards away from the house or 75 yards away from the house, and my kids will ask me, hey, will you come to the, I'll say, go get the mail, and they're like, no, I'm not doing it. Will you come with me? And they're like, they're like paralyzed with fear. And then the moment that I begin to go to the mailbox with my kids, they're playing. They're aloof. They don't have a care in the world. Why? Because their dad is with them. Because they know that there's safety in my presence. And so here's what I want you to know. Life may feel dark to you right now. There's, maybe this is like... Not for everybody in the room. Maybe this is just for a person or two or three or ten in the room. Life may feel dark to you right now. The shepherd of your souls has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned you. You belong to him. You are not alone in the dark. You belong to him. You belong to him. You belong to him. We belong to our shepherd. Look what happens when Psalm 23 shows us the character of the good shepherd and everything that he does. The Lord is my shepherd. This is not the me psalm. This is Psalm 23 in all of its grandeur. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Is this a nightmare, or is this good news? The me psalm is a nightmare. Psalm 23 is good news for our souls. And so we might ask, because we're followers of Jesus, we're new covenant people, where's Jesus in this psalm? Is there gospel in this psalm? There's whiffs of it, yes, like that we can just see kind of on the surface, but Jesus actually plays two roles in this psalm. First, he walked this out himself. Jesus walked out Psalm 23 himself. He is a man who kept his focus on his father who was shepherding him, continued to live by the spirit who was empowering him. Jesus entered into our predicament. He was provided for by his father. He walked the valley of the shadow of death, deep darkness. He faced every evil that Satan and that humanity could throw at him. He felt the threat of the me psalm. He, he understood our soul's need to be restored, and he looked to his father's care when he was cast down for us into this deep, dark shadow of death. And God's goodness and God's mercy pursued and carried Jesus all of his days and out of the grave, the light of men and the, and the life of the world, the light of this world won And second, Jesus is also this Lord to whom we look. He's the living good shepherd who we call on 
He's the one who restores our souls. He's the one who leads us in paths of righteousness. Why? Because of who he is for his name's sake. And so his reputation for our care is actually on the line, and he will not lose any of those who are his. And so I, wanna, I want you to ask this question, where is your worry? Where is your fear? Where is your anxiety? Can you locate it? Just something going on in your world. Where is it? Can you locate it? That is the valley where this good shepherd is with you. Can you locate it? That's the place where he is with you. He has not abandoned you. With his rod, he protects you and supports your weakness. And with his staff, he guides you toward the right paths. And so for us, it's trusting Jesus. There is no better way and there is no better one to belong to. Psalm 23 is a salve for our souls, for our consciences. It's a psalm that puts courage into us when we're tempted to run or maybe we're tempted to fight. It's a psalm that calms us and helps us refocus ourselves from the things here to the one who oversees us and the affairs of our daily lives. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for being our shepherd. Jesus, thank you for being our good shepherd. Holy Spirit, thank you for showing us what is true and living with us and convicting us. Thank you for preaching gospel to our souls. Thank you for giving us courage, Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for going before us and dying in our place as a man who was also God for your posture on the cross to, to, as you were lifted high and arms were spread out wide and you were exposed be before people who hated you. Thank you for looking upon them as representations of all of humanity and saying, Father, forgive them. They're ignorant. They don't realize who they're killing. They don't realize what they're doing. And you did not pull back your grace from us, but you continue to pursue your people. And so thank you that your posture in such a terrible place was one of trusting your Father and forgiving, extending mercy. Father, this was your plan. We wrestle with it. In our humanity, in our limitations, in our lack of wisdom, we would have done things differently. And yet, you are the one who is all wise. You are the one who is all knowing. You are the one who knows the beginning from the end. And so we submit our minds and our reason and our will to you. Would you shape us? Would you teach us? Would you lead us? Thank you for Psalm 23. Thank you for being good in all of your ways to all of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.